Welcome to Evidence-Based Radio. As always, you can find me on Facebook throughout the week, and you can listen to this and other episodes on uh, as podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, and other fine purveyors of podcasts. Okay, so on to our uh, new segment here, which is just a highlight of some of the science-based lectures that are coming up uh, in the Valley. Uh, so on Monday the 5th at 4.30 p.m. in the Pano Room of the Beninsky Museum of Natural History at Amherst College, there will be a talk by David Schwartz titled, How Fermi Became Fermi. Um, and it notes that he will be drawing on research undertaken in preparation for his new biography of Fermi, uh, titled The Last Man Who Knew Everything, The Life and Times of Enrico Fermi, Father of the Nuclear Age. And so Schwartz will discuss the development of Fermi as a physicist, as well as the role of nature, nurture, and historical circumstances in his career and the characteristics behind both his strengths and his weaknesses. It actually sounds really interesting. Um, and so I might even try and make my way there. And then uh, once again on Wednesday, the 7th of February uh, at 7 p.m. at Broadside Books in downtown Northampton, there will be a book signing of uh, Science for the People. And so Science for the People was an organization that brought together scientists, teachers, and students to practice socially and economically just science. And uh, part of the reason I think that this is so relevant right now is because uh, it's definitely, again, a time where we really need scientists to step up, and a lot of them have stepped up, uh, to try and really bring science that is uh, politically minded and um, is really politically minded in a way that seeks to help people and to make our uh, nation and our world a better place and is really trying to fight against a lot of what has been going on recently, uh, certainly in this country, certainly with our uh, extreme turn against science-based evidence and science-based reasoning and just reason in general, um, I would uh, say. But um, yeah, and so I think it's interesting to look at this historical version of that. Okay. Uh, also, uh, Nerd Night will be coming up on the 12th of February. Uh, neither talk is technically science-based, but they both sound interesting. Um, a talk on heist movies and what we can learn about them, and a discussion of how social media and Ask Me Anything uh, in particular can go, well, horribly wrong. <laughs> Um, and so I will uh, try and post a more comprehensive list on the Facebook uh, either this evening or tomorrow morning. And um, so, yeah, I will be trying to collect some of those things so that if you're interested, you can go uh, and you can find them all in one easy place. You don't have to hunt around for them. So, yeah. Um, and obviously, that is the evidence-based radio Facebook page. Um, and first off tonight... 
now getting into uh, actual stories. I want to talk about a bristle worm. Um, and so this is a worm that was eyeless. Uh, it had two tentacles or more correctly, parapodia uh, sprouting from its head and it would have dined on food found in the seafloor mud around 508 million years ago. So don't worry, you're not going to run into it. <laughs> and so the remains of these weird worms uh, were found by researchers in British Columbia. So it turned out that over 500 individual fossils were found between 2012 and 2016 in Marble Canyon, which is part of the famous Burgess Shale deposit. The fossils of the Burgess Shale are some of the most important in the world, documenting a phenomenon known as the Cambrian Explosion, the first appearance of most modern animal groups in the fossil record. The study's lead author, Karma Nanglu, a doctoral student in the Department of Ecology and Evolutionary Biology at the University of Toronto, and a researcher at the Royal Ontario Museum, that's a mouthful, uh, told Life Science, or Live Science, I should say. And so bristle worms, uh, as the name suggests, uh, have hairy bristles that tend to cover their bodies. However, Unlike any living forms, these bristles were also partially covering the head, more specifically surrounding the mouth. Nangula and co-author Jean-Bernard Caron, senior curator of invertebrate paleontology at the Royal Ontario Museum, said in a statement, The worms are actually very small, just around one inch on average, um, but they would have actually had up to 25 body segments, and each one of those segments is covered in about 56 bristles. And so in addition to the two parapodia, the worms also had two small antennae. These organisms funnel mud in, funneled mud into their mouths that they then sift through for organic materials to feed on. They noted, we get evidence for this way of life from the well-preserved gut of, <sighs> let's try this, Kootenay scolex barbarensis, which often preserves much more darkly in color compared to the surrounding tissues, Nanglu noted. Now, I wanted to say the name because I wanted to tell you about it because uh, it's kind of cool. The new worm has been named after Barbara Polk Milstein, a volunteer at the uh, Royal Ontario Museum, and um, she has worked with Burgess Shale Research and also uh, Kootenay um, National Park, where the canyon is located. And finally, Skolex is the Greek word for worm. Um, and so the researchers believe that studying the head of this worm actually gives them in new insight into how the head of ringed worms, a group that includes modern earthworms and leeches, may have developed their heads. Nanglu notes that the body design of the worm seems to suggest that the annelid head evolved from posterior body segments that had pair bundles of bristles a hypothesis supported by the developmental biology of many modern annelid species. And so, interestingly, 
um, in addition to standard uh, microscopy, the team also used a technique called elemental mapping. And so this allows researchers to see a map of the elemental composition on the surface of a fossil. And so knowing what elements are present, such as carbon or calcium, can actually aid in the identification of past tissue. The layout and composition of these elements helps us hypothesize about what types of tissue the animal originally possessed, Nanglu said. In this case, we think that a number of the pronounced dark areas in the fossil represent degraded vascular tissue. And um, I will actually link to an artist's representation of this uh, little weird and wonderful worm because I think it's really, um, you know, quite an interesting little animal. Um, And I know it doesn't sound, you know, worms, but it actually looks pretty fantastic. And um, basically, it is part of that Cambrian explosion, as uh, mentioned above. And if you've never looked at uh, artist representations of what animals from the Cambrian uh, explosion might have looked like, uh, you should definitely do that. I will try and remember to link to some uh, galleries where uh, people have posted illustrations because if you really want to think about alien uh, species and alien things, uh, a lot of what was forming in the Cambrian, uh, evolving in the Cambrian, even though they eventually led to uh, modern animals, some of them are just very weird. Uh, There's ones that took people, uh, took scientists a fairly long time to figure out whether they were plant or animal, um, which way was up. Um, And so, uh, yeah, very interesting animals during that time period. Okay. So let us stay in the realm of creepy crawlies and talk about the origin of the entire family of insects uh, for a while. And so it turns out that despite being incredibly successful and prolific in the present, with up to 10 million species currently inhabiting every nook and cranny of the globe possible, they weren't always so ubiquitous. Insects only really started to proliferate around 325 million years ago. Before that, it was mostly arthropods and um, other animals like that. And uh, so that's been a real mystery. And in fact, uh, the study's first author, Sandra Shashat, a graduate student at Stanford's School of Earth, Energy, and Environmental Sciences notes, there's been quite a bit of mystery about how insects first arose, because for many millions of years you had nothing, and then just all of a sudden an explosion of insects. And so the gap between the first insects, uh, which were basically wingless uh, little insects that unfortunately, uh, I have to say, did resemble uh, silverfish. Uh, Sorry for anyone who just got a chill. Uh, And so, yeah, those were the first ones. And then uh, there is basically a gap. And so this gap in the fossil record has been called the hexapod gap. And so there have been many hypotheses 
about why there was this gap between when the first insects uh, were evolving and then when they suddenly became all of the different kinds of insects that we would eventually know today. And so there are two prominent hypotheses about why this happened. And so the first one is that during this time, the amount of atmospheric oxygen was basically too low to sustain insects. So insects have very primitive respiratory systems, even modern insects. Um, and so a lot of them have what are called book lungs, um, which are basically just muscles that kind of push oxygen from the air into the body. Um, and some of them basically just pull oxygen uh, weakly into themselves. And so they don't have a lot of um, ability to deal with low oxygen um, atmospheres. And so they figured that if the oxygen threshold was too low for insects, they wouldn't be able to thrive. And so this hypothesis was based on research done in the past by the late Yale geologist Robert Berner. And so he created a model of atmospheric oxygen for the past 570 million years using comparisons of carbon and oxygen found in ancient rocks and fossils. And so according to his data, around 385 million years ago, when those first insects appeared, the oxygen levels were a mere 15%. Um, nowadays, it's closer to 21% for comparison. And in fact, that 15% was so low that forest fires wouldn't even have been sustainable. And so the other major suggestion to this question of where were the insects uh, is that basically they were around, but there was some reason for uh, the conditions to be unfavorable to fossilization. So they were there in the past. We just don't have any evidence of them. And so the new researcher research published in the journal Royal Society Proceedings B tested both of these hypotheses to see if they held up. And so to begin with, they first looked at Berner's data and updated it with information from the last decade, because he obviously hadn't been updating it. Um, and so when they did that, when they added new information from uh, the previous 10 years, what they found is that the oxygen dip actually disappeared. It turns out that it was just a uh, flaw in the in the data that had been um, fed into the model. And uh, what probably happened is we just didn't have uh, sophisticated enough tools in order to measure things as precisely as we do today. What this study shows is that environmental inhibition by low oxygen can be ruled out because it is not compatible with the most current data, said study co-author and Stanford Earth paleontologist Jonathan Payne. They then did a survey of rocks from public databases of North American rock types and found nothing notable in the rock formations from the late Devonian that would suggest any kind of issue. The rocks could have contained insect fossils. The fact that they don't indicates the dearth of insects during this period is real and not just an artifact of bad luck with preservation, said Sashat, 
So what was the cause? It turns out that it may be an evolutionary innovation that helped them to proliferate, not something else in the environment that was causing them to not be able to proliferate. And so what that is, is the development of wings. And so insects were the first animals on earth to develop wings. They appeared around 325 million years ago. And that's right around the time when the diversity and abundance of insects exploded. The fossil record looks just how you would expect if insects were rare until they evolved wings, at which point they very rapidly increased in diversity and abundance, Payne said. And it turns out that the first two species of winged insects that appear in the fossil records also represent the two main groups of living insects. Those like dragonflies, which have quote-unquote old wings that can't be folded down onto their abdomens, and a grasshopper-like insect that has new wings that are able to fold down onto their abdomens. The first two winged insects in the fossil record are about as different from each other as you could possibly expect, Sashat said. This suggests that once winged insects originated, they diversified very, very quickly. So quickly that their diversification appears from a geological perspective and the evidence available in the fossil record to have been instantaneous. Um, and so very impressively, they seem to, once they found, uh, once they developed wings, that they were off to the races. Um, and basically, this is completely plausible because if you think about it, this is a completely new thing at the time. No other creature on the earth had wings. And so having developed an entirely new means of locomotion, insects could easily have branched out and proliferated. They could suddenly avoid predators and reach new areas for feeding. In addition, they would be able to literally create new ecological niche niches. Imagine an omnivorous insect that flies to the top of trees to feed, Sashat noted. Suddenly, there's a niche for a predator that can fly to the top of the tree to eat that insect. Wings allowed insects to expand the suite of niches that can be filled. It was really revolutionary. Now, of course, the next big mystery to explore is how and why did wings originate in insects in the first place? Uh, what changed that allowed them to suddenly bloom into the billions of insects that share our planet today? I don't have the answer for that yet. <laughs> um, hopefully more research will be done and we will begin to explore that possibility of figuring out exactly why wings developed. Um, we know why wings developed in other animals to an extent. Uh, we've talked a lot about, um, and in fact, just a couple of weeks ago, we talked about um, dinosaurs and how uh, non-avian um, dinosaurs may have developed wings and uh, why how they could have used their feathers without actually even having um, flight. But insects we don't know about because again the fossil record there is 
basically you go from insects that don't have wings to insects that have wings all over the place. Um, and so definitely there is a lot of room for discovery there. Okay, so let us keep with the theme of fossil remains for a moment. Uh, I wanted to talk about the fact that researchers have announced in a paper published in the journal Nature, Ecology, and Evolution that they have found a new dinosaur skeleton in the Egyptian desert. The new dinosaur, named Mansaurosaurus shahani, is the most completely preserved land-living vertebrate from the end of the Cretaceous period ever found on the mainland of Africa. It's like finding an edge piece that you use to help figure out what the picture is that you can build from, noted Dr. Eric Gorsak of the Field Museum, who worked on the research. The skeletal remains, which include part of the skull, the lower jaw, neck and back vertebrae, ribs, most of the shoulder and forelimb, part of the hind foot, and, a piece, and pieces of dermal plates, were all preserved. They represent a long-necked sauropod, which would have been a herbivorous dinosaur, uh, 33 feet long with bony plates embedded in its skin. Uh, it would have weighed in at up to 5.5 tons, and it would have lived around 80 million years ago. Now that sounds big, but it's actually kind of on the small side for uh, these huge sauropods, but that's okay because it's still incredibly exciting uh, for all of the people involved. Co-author Matt Lamana, a paleontologist and principal dinosaur researcher at Carnegie Museum of Natural History in Pittsburgh, explained that this was the Holy Grail, a well-preserved dinosaur from the end of the age of dinosaurs in Africa that we paleontologists have been searching for for a long, long time. And so it turns out that fossils from the late Cretaceous, 94 to 66 million years ago, are quote unquote, exceedingly rare in Africa, according to Lamana. And so the skeleton was first found in late 2013 by Dr. Hesham Salam of Mansoura University in Egypt. And uh, this was along with his talented students, Iman El Duwadi, Sana El Sayed, and Sarah Saber. It was thrilling for my students to uncover bone after bone as each new element we recovered helped to reveal who this giant dinosaur was, he noted. Now, previous hypotheses had suggested that dinosaurs in Africa had begun to evolve independently at this time because Right around this time, the supercontinent was actually breaking up and the continents were beginning to spread towards their uh, positions that they hold now. And so it was thought because they hadn't really had much uh, fossils to go on that the African uh, dinosaurs would have been isolated by this point. However, Mansurosaurus bears striking, striking resemblances to dinosaurs from Europe and Asia. And so this suggests that these animals continued to migrate and intermingle up until the end of the dinosaur age. And so they found that the anatomical features of the animals matched much more closely with animals from Europe and Asia 
than even Southern Africa or South America. Africa remains a giant question mark in terms of land-dwelling animals at the end of the age of dinosaurs, said Gorsuch. Mansurosaurus helped us address long-standing questions about Africa's fossil record and paleobiology. And so um, previously, they have found dinosaurs in more southern areas of Africa, um, for instance, in Madagascar. But again, this actually, uh, Mansurosaurus, seems to be more closely related to those in Europe. Um, and so that's really interesting because it's so rare to find these kinds of fossils. I know that we talk about fossils a lot and researchers and, and scientists and uh, museums all over the world talk about fossils, fossils, fossils. But again, um, whenever I'm talking about fossils, I like to remind people that the amount of fossils that we have is infinitesimally smaller than the amount of animals that have lived and died on this earth. Obviously, if everything created a fossil, we'd be in big trouble. Um, so it's good that they don't in some ways, but in other ways, it's really unfortunate because it's hard to sometimes extrapolate a lot of information about an animal from their bones if you don't have a lot of bones to go on. And bones are the only thing that you have to go with. And so, yeah, it is sometimes very hard to deal with that. Um, but let us take a moment to uh, have a break and do some PSAs and some show promos. And I will be back in just a minute with more science. Hi, I'm Charlie. I fight fires and I save lives. My name's Renee. I'm a cardiologist. I save lives. My name's Anthony. I'm an EMT. I save lives. You don't have to be a professional to save a life. Firefighters, doctors, and others save lives. You can, too. Don't wait. To learn more about the warning signs and how you can help prevent suicide, visit save.org. In a crisis, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. Has anyone ever asked you, don't you have enough records? Adventure Rocket Ship is new and old, indie pop, psych pop, post-punk, shoegaze, lots of chiming, jangly guitars and catchy melodies from both artists you know and obscure 7-inch singles from around the world. Adventure Rocket Ship, Tuesday nights, 9 to 11 p.m. on Valley Free Radio. Alcohol poisoning is caused by binge drinking large quantities of alcohol in a short period of time. Very high levels of alcohol in the body can shut down critical areas of the brain that control breathing, heart rate, and body temperature, resulting in death. Alcohol poisoning deaths affect people of all ages, but are most common among middle-aged adults. In the United States, an average of six people die every day from alcohol poisoning. Most of the deaths are among men. States and communities can support proven programs and policies to prevent binge drinking. Healthcare providers can screen all adult patients for binge drinking and counsel those who do to drink less. Don't binge drink. If you choose to drink, do so in moderation. 
up to one drink a day for women or two drinks a day for men. To learn more, visit cdc.gov slash vital signs. Outbreaks of whooping cough or pertussis are happening across the United States. This serious respiratory disease can be deadly for babies. By getting the whooping cough vaccine called Tdap during the third trimester of each pregnancy, women can pass antibodies to their babies to help protect them until they're old enough to receive their own vaccine. Learn more at cdc.gov slash pertussis slash pregnant. That's pertussis, P-E-R-T-U-S-S-I-S. When you get home at night and switch on the lights, do you feel good about the source of your electricity? Did you know that you can choose to power your home with 100% local, clean electricity? You have the power to say no to the standard mix of polluters like natural gas, coal, and oil. Make the switch to clean electricity produced right here in New England. It's easy. Sign up for New England Wind or New England Green Start without any contracts or commitments. Just go to www.massenergy.org forward slash CET. You don't let your kids play in the toilet. That's what it's like when pet owners don't pick up pet waste. Irrigation and stormwater can carry this pollutant to storm drains and retention areas where our children play. Do the right thing. For yourself and your community, pick up after your pet. Bag it and properly dispose of it in the trash. Remember, only rain in the storm drain. Brought to you by Stormwater Outreach for regional municipalities. Visit storm at www.azstorm.org. The Forbes Library staff would like to remind you of the incredible resource that you have in your local public library. We have tens of thousands of books for you to check out, music CDs, movies, newspapers from around the region, the state, and the country. We have a wide variety of magazines and free computer and internet access every day. We also have our incredible reference services there to help you answer particularly vexing problems. All of this is free, locally available at 20 West Street in Northampton. So come by and check us out in person or at www.forbeslibrary.org or call 587-1011 for more information. iHeart J-Rock with DJ Sakura is your weekly two-hour show devoted to rock music from Japan. Join me on Saturday nights, 10 p.m. to midnight. I'll be playing the very best in the newest J-Rock, J-Pop, J-Metal, VK, you name it, I'll play it as long as it's from Japan. Thank you. You are listening to Valley Free Radio, WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM. I'm Mayor David Narkowitz, and I support Northampton's community radio station. Okay, we are back, and we are going to move on now away from fossils. And uh, though they will be coming back at the end, uh, there's another interesting sort of fossil uh, story. But we are going to shift gears completely and talk about a medical mystery. Uh, I've actually had this on my uh, radar for quite a while. Um, The first person to tell me about it was actually uh, Susan Timberlake, who you can hear on Civil Politics coming up right after uh, this show. And so this is a mysterious polio-like illness 
that since 2014 has been attacking children across the country, causing weakness in the limbs and other disruptions to nerves, including difficulty swallowing, drooping eyes, pains, and other symptoms usually associated with polio. And so it has been referred to as acute flaccid myelitis, or AFM. And uh, up until now, it has been basically a complete mystery as to where it came from, what has been causing it. Uh, It's been one of those things that just is completely a mystery. More than 120 children developed the condition known as acute flaccid myelitis in the U.S. alone, explains infectious disease epidemiologist Raina McIntyre. But experts were baffled as to the cause. Now, at the same time, the enterovirus D68, or EVD68, began to cause large outbreaks of serious illness that caused that killed thousands of people, mostly children with severe respiratory complications. Now, previous to this, cases of the disease amounted to less than 700, and in addition, they mostly induced mild respiratory symptoms. There had been no fatalities associated with EVD68 previous to this time period. And so it seemed intuitive that the two things might be linked. But again, the virus had only ever been known to induce respiratory symptoms, not problems with the nervous system. So if you have a virus that attacks one system, it doesn't follow necessarily that it's going to be able to attack some other system because viruses tend to be very, very specific. But new research from uh, from researchers at the University of New South Wales have found strong evidence to support a causal relationship between EVD68 and AFM. And so they used what is called the Bradford Bradfield Hill criteria. It was developed by English epidemiologist Sir Austin Bradford Hill um, and was first used to determine the connection between smoking and lung cancer in the 1950s. Um, And so the criteria has nine principles, and they looked through the data from 100 previous studies on the conditions, along with other data sets which they were able to find online. We are the first to use his approach to analyze the relationship between EVD68 and acute flaccid myelitis, McIntyre said. Our results show that it is very likely that EVD68 is the cause of the mystery mystery illness and the paralysis of children. But of course, the big question is, why did it change? How is it that a respiratory virus suddenly started causing paralysis in children? Well, it turns out that the original strain does not appear to cause AFM, but strains that have evolved more recently, uh, called clades A, B, and B1, do cause AFM in mice and have been associated with both U.S. and European outbreaks. Now, of course, the problem is, is that both the virus and the disease are relatively new, and they're also still relatively rare, Um, in fact, very rare. And so it has been hard to track down exactly what's going on with these, with both the 
the disease and the virus because you don't have a large population in which to really get good information. Now, of course, one might be thinking that now that we know this, we can do something about it. Unfortunately, uh, even though we now know what causes AFM, uh, this doesn't necessarily suggest any prophylactic or clinical treatments will be coming soon. Um, given the rare nature of the disease and the fact that the initial outbreak, that since the initial outbreak, uh, um, cases have become much fewer, which is good. Um, it's probably not going to be a uh, subject of any uh, drug company's research because it's not really uh, advantageous or profitable to develop a vaccine for something so rare. And so the big thing to hope is that it will continue to be rare and that the initial flare-up did not uh, is not a harbinger for things to come in the future. Hopefully it was able to quickly adapt to be less um, virulent. And so we will not see large outbreaks in the future. <sighs> okay, so let's switch gears again. Uh, staying in the realm of biology, but uh, we're going to talk about plants for a minute. And so it may s seem a little strange to think about this, but all living things require the ability to count, even plants and single-celled organisms. And so they need to be able to count in order to assure that the correct amount of chromosomes are passed down to the next generation. And so how organisms do this is not always clear. Researchers now believe that they have identified how the mechanism in plants that prevents an imbalance of chromosomes, known as the triploid block, is actually accomplished. And so this mechanism prevents cells with abnormal amounts of chromosomes from actually being fertile and reproducing. The team, led by Professor Rob Martiansen of Cold Spring Harbor Laboratory and the Howard Hughes Medical Institute, and a team led by Felipe Borges, a po postdoctoral researcher in his lab, with Dr. Claudia Kohler and colleagues at the University of Uppsala in Sweden discovered that the key was transposons. And so basically chromosomes are covered with transposable elements or TEs. And so this led Martiansen to ask whether a cell might be able to detect and count transposons as a proxy for chromosomes. And so he hypothesized it might have something to do with small RNA molecules, which cells produce to keep potentially mutagenic transposons um, from becoming active. And so what they found was a special version of small RNA molecule, which is found only in flowering plants pollen. The new molecule called microRNA845 seeks out and targets most transposons in the plant genome and triggers synthesis of secondary small RNAs, which are referred to as easy RNAs, um, which actually stands for epigenetically activated small interfering RNAs. And so these transposons correspond to the number of chromosomes, 
and so therefore can act as a sort of proxy for counting. The more chromosomes, the more easy RNAs in the sperm cells. And so when the sperm cells combine with the female gametes in a developing seed, there is a process of counting that occurs. If there are too many easy RNAs in the cell, and thus too many chromosomes, this triggers the seed to collapse and prevent germination. And so the researchers suspect that the easy RNAs, uh, because they are able to silence imprinted genes, which are required for germination, but on both the male and female germ cells are responsible for this. And so basically the silencing of those genes leads to sterilization of the seeds. Now, not only does this add to our general knowledge of biology, but it actually has some pretty important uh, research and development potentials. And so it could allow um, plant scientists to be able to breed plants that have different numbers of chromosomes together. So if you can figure out the mechanism, you can figure out a way to turn the mechanism off, which is a very important uh, part of a lot of science is sort of once you've figured out how to how something works, you can figure out how to prevent it from working or you can figure out how to make it work better. Um, and so this is definitely one of those places where it might, again, have some pretty excellent um, potential for plant um, development. And um, so just as an aside, um, <laughs> there has been a sort of uh, kerfuffle on uh, the internet recently uh, related to plant science and um I wasn't going to talk about it, but I do want to just uh, mention it, that um, there has been some pushback from the science-based community and especially um, the agricultural community, um, basically about how uh, a particular company, uh, Stonyfield Farms, has been doing some uh, interesting things with their marketing and uh, they have been basically um, doing some propaganda against uh, genetically modified organisms uh, or transgenic plants more specifically um, or correctly. And um, I think it's just, it's really important to remember that there is absolutely no reason to think that genetically modified organisms are uniquely bad in any way, shape, or form. There have been no studies to prove that there are any harmful effects. Um, any of the studies that are pointed to are generally studies that either have been debunked or have been retracted, um, and that this is generally just a ploy by these companies to sort of uh, virtue signal and get people to buy their products because it makes them feel better because they're not doing, uh, they're not putting these things into their body, even though, you know, especially with GMOs, there's nothing wrong with it at all. Um, and so again, this is a continuing problem that, um, researchers and scientists and, um, farmers have, that uh, this rhetoric around GMOs and organic and all of this stuff, it's really, really damaging to um, agriculture and especially to agriculture in places 
that don't have the privilege of being able to go into a supermarket and buy bespoke organic yogurt. Um, and so it is something that continues to really frustrate me. Um, and I know that people want to do what's best for themselves and for their children. Um, but the health industry in this country is kind of messed up. And um, it really actually contributes to a lot of um, damage to health, especially of people in other countries who can't access uh, genetically modified organisms um, or vaccines uh, because people in this country have caused panics about them. Um, vaccines are another big issue where um, you know, people have been convinced that vaccines are dangerous, even though nothing could be further from the truth. And so now we have children who are getting preventable diseases. And I just, it's so important to um, continue to try and seek out evidence-based information about these things and to not fall into the trap of buying water that says non-GMO on it or salt. There aren't, there isn't even any genes in salt to genetically modify. You cannot genetically modify something that doesn't have a gene in it. Um, and so salt and water and all of these things, they, they literally can't be genetically modified. Um, you know, there are a whole bunch of people who are putting these labels onto, uh, items that contain nothing that has a, there are no genetically modified organisms that are available for production of any of the ingredients in those boxes. They are literally just trying to get you to buy their product because you think it's better and it's not. And so it's much, much more important, uh, especially these days, it's really important to try and resist that kind of um, virtue signaling marketing. And so I really, you know, not that I have ever bought any of their products, but I definitely wouldn't um, at this point. Another uh, one recently is Triscuits. Uh, Triscuits has a rather terrible uh, commercial that it has been putting out about how Triscuits don't contain any genetically modified uh, ingredients. So as much as I like Triscuits, I won't be dying Triscuits anytime soon um, until they stop with this ridiculous fear-mongering about a perfectly reasonable technology that is used to create better plants so that more people can be fed and so that we can have a better future. <laughs> it's just, I, I, yeah, it's just one of those things that is, you know, we don't necessarily think about the fact that it's not just crazy politicians who are talking about how global warming doesn't exist. And we all look at them and say, you know, that's crazy. Of course, global warming exists. All of these scientists say it does. But when all of the scientists say that vaccines are safe and that, uh, genetically modified organisms are perfectly safe to eat, suddenly we don't believe scientists anymore. I just don't get that. Um, and it's really, you know, one of my personal pet peeves, obviously. 
Uh, so anyways, uh, let us actually move on now and talk about our last couple of stories. Uh, so first of all, I want to turn to space and talk about the news that an amateur astronomer has made contact with a long-lost NASA satellite. And so the imager for Magnetopause to Aurora Global Exploration, or IMAGE satellite, was launched in March of 2000, and as with most NASA missions, it's lasted, it, or it did last far beyond its original two-year mission. So it lasted until 2005. However, in December of 2005, contact was suddenly lost with the satellite, bringing the mission to an abrupt close. And so NASA engineers at the Goddard Flight Center um, have confirmed that a signal picked up by an anonymous amateur astronomer is indeed a signal from the image satellite. And so they used NASA's Deep Space Network, a collection of ground-based radio telescopes, to identify the signal. On the afternoon of January 30th, the Johns Hopkins Applied Physical Lab in Laurel, Maryland, successfully collected telemetry data from the satellite, NASA officials said in a statement. The signal showed that the spacecraft ID was 166, the ID for image. The NASA team has been able to read some basic housekeeping data from the spacecraft, suggesting that at least the main control system is operational. And so IMAGE was actually the first satellite dedicated to studying the Earth's magnetosphere launched by NASA back in 2000. Um, and what is really exciting about this is that there is actually hope that the spacecraft can be brought back online once again and actually go back to giving NASA data on the magnetosphere, which is, of course, part of the... Um, it's the magnetic envelope that is surrounding the Earth, which gives us, for instance, the Aurora Borealis, but also prevents us from basically dying horribly from uh, radiation, from um, cosmic rays, and from um, direct radiation from the sun. And so the magnetosphere basically... It's an envelope that keeps us all happy and healthy. And so um, it's very important. And um, just as a, an aside to this uh, story, there apparently has been a lot of worry lately about uh, the possible pole shift and how that affects the magnetosphere. And um, I just want to assure you that there is nothing to fear. Uh, we are not in any at all imminent danger of a pole shift. Um, and in fact, there's no suggestion that there have been huge mass die-offs at the time periods of pole shifts. So it seems that it's something that happens, but it doesn't actually affect huge amounts of people um, or huge amounts of organisms on the planet. That It seems to happen gradually and over time, and the magnetosphere is able to adjust along um, the path of it. And so it's not going to be rocks fall, everybody dies, it's going to be fine. And it may not even happen for hundreds or thousands of years. So um, definitely, the next time someone uh, posts something on Facebook about that, you can say, calm down, it's going to be okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, and 
coming back to uh, fossils, it actually turns out that, um, oh, actually, I wanted to, uh, there's one more quote from NASA, sorry. And so uh, they reported that scientists and engineers at NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center in Greenbelt, Maryland, will continue to try to analyze the data from the spacecraft to learn more about the state of the spacecraft. And so they noted that this process will take a week or two to complete as it requires attempting to adapt old software and databases of information to more modern systems, which is kind of the money quote for me because it's really kind of adorable that, you know, think about the computer you had in 2000 versus the computer you have or don't have anymore, uh, the iPad you ha have now in lieu of your computer Um it's been a lot of technological difference in that uh, 18 years. And so um, I think that is the most interesting part is that they kind of have to figure out how do we deal with this uh, change in system. Uh, and so I'm looking forward to hearing more about whether or not they are able to reconnect with it and get data again. Okay. So speaking of NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center, it turns out that another completely unrelated discovery uh, has been found there. So over in Greenbelt, Maryland, a slab of sandstone that was on the grounds of the site actually turns out to contain rare tracks that feature interactions between dinosaurs and mammals. And so the tracks were first discovered by another amateur, uh, this time amateur paleontologist Ray Stafford, whose wife Sheila worked at Goddard. He first noticed a dinosaur track in 2012. Since then, the slab has been excavated and revealed to be around 8 by 3 feet, or around the size of a dining room table. And in fact, the find almost didn't happen if Stanford hadn't decided to take a break and have lunch with his wife uh, out on the uh, campus. It probably would have been destroyed because that area was actually uh, shortly going to be under construction for a new building. And so this is very, very lucky that we were able to have someone discover it. Uh, and so... This is actually a pretty important find. It turns out that on this relatively small area, there are 70 tracks from eight species, everything from squirrel-sized mammals to pterosaurs to large dinosaurs like nodosaur. Um, and so the nodosaur would be more like the size of a tank uh, and, this, and probably around the size of, um, you know, a, a very large elephant. And there's actually really adorably even a track of both a baby notosaur and a parent. Um, so it's clear that the baby notosaur is following the parent. Um, there are also four theropods, uh, much smaller than the more well-known, uh, their more well-known cousins like T-Rex. Uh, these ones would have been more the size of a large raven, um, but they are there. And there's at least, uh, there's even at least one coprolite, uh, which, uh, if you don't remember, is a fossilized feces. Um, but they can be very, very, very interesting um, and can tell us a lot about uh, the diet of these animals. So actually finding coprolites is pretty amazing and excellent. 
the concentration of mammal tracks on this site is orders of magnitude higher than any other site in the world, said Martin Lockley, paleontologist with the University of Colorado, Denver, a co-author of Stafford's new uh, or Stanford's new paper uh, in a press release. I don't think I've ever seen a slab this size, which is just a couple of square meters, where you have over 70 footprints of so many different types. This is the mother load of Cretaceous mammal tracks. And so that is actually one of the most stunning features. So it turns out that there are preserved tracks from 26 different mammals, including the largest uh, around the size of a raccoon's paw the largest basically track ever to be discovered from the Cretaceous period from a mammal. And so this is also a huge find because it turns out that most of what we know about Cretaceous mammals actually come from teeth, which really give limited information about how animals behave or what they may have looked like. And so there are even tracks that have never previously been discovered. Uh, there are a few that come in pairs that suggest that small mammals were sitting on their haunches. And so it is very exciting to uh, find these things. And those ones are actually have been named Ceteripes goddardensis, uh, which roughly means sitting traces from Goddard Space Flight Center. Okay, so that is all the time we have tonight for science. Please do stay tuned for civil politics. I'm sure they'll be talking about the State of the Union um, and other fun things. No, I'm sure it will be lovely because they are lovely people. So please do stay tuned and um, have a great night. This show is part of the Planetside Productions Network. For more information, please visit www.planetside.pro and thank you for listening.
The views and opinions expressed on WXOJLP are solely those of the original hosts of their respective programs. These views and opinions do not necessarily represent those of Valley Free Radio Incorporated, its volunteers, or any other hosts, guests, or programs on this station. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to Civil Politics here on Valley Free Radio, WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM. I am Stefan Ward-Wheaton, executive producer and uh, sometime uh, panelist, but currently <laughs> taking the catbird seat while Mike Dow is away. And here with me is Sue Timberlake. Hey there. Our stalwart panelist <laughs> and... Uh, Reliable. <laughs> principled conservative thinker <laughs> on the show and also dr roberts here manning the board for us yes and the, and the uh and also manning our social media and internet presence and by the way if you want to reach out to us for any reason you can do so uh we are on facebook and twitter facebook.com slash civil politics radio Twitter.com. You can find us at Civil Politics FM. And uh, we cross post uh, between those two sites. So you can look for live updates as we, uh, for material that we talk about during the show on both Facebook and Twitter. And for classic episodes. And also, uh, you can hashtag us uh, or follow our hashtag, rather. You can hashtag us, but if you'd like to follow our hashtag, Civil References is our aggregated, uh, trustworthy news source that's been vetted by different members of our squad. During the show, when these two talk about some weird thing, I'm going to look it up, and then it'll be on Twitter or in Facebook with the hashtag civil references. So we source our things live during the show. And you do that even when we're wrong, so it's like liar. Oh, right? yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, did I say civil politics? I meant civil references. Civil, <laughs> hashtag civil references. Hashtag civil references. Uh, you can me. follow no, that during the show Um, so because uh, I am updating live while they're talking. And you can, if you want to... Uh, read those references after the show, then they will be on the website along with the new episode. Indeed. And that website is civilpoliticsradio.com, which is our archive of previous shows and is kind of our headquarters. And uh, also, if you want to email us feedback for any reason, you can do so at our email address, civilpoliticsradio at valleyfreeradio.org. So thanks for joining us here on the program. Sue, it's been a jam-packed week. (laughs) You're not kidding. We had a State of the Union address. Uh, We've had a memo leakage (laughs) just as of today that's been taking up the news. I don't even know. Where do you want to begin? Oh, man, are you asking me? I was hoping you would have some place you wanted to start. Uh, Well, Uh, do you want want to sort of do a – I mean, the State of the Union was the big – that was kind of the big news of the week. And so. there's a million little, I got uh, 13 or 14 or 16 things that he said in there that made me stop and write them down. So, <laughs> Yeah, well, he's, it's a bunch of different uh, you know, media organizations, newspapers, uh, media, news outlets, if you will, have kind of gone to work on it yeah. and, um, and have, have put it to some fact check. There's been some, uh, there's been some allegations of... Uh, you know, uh, uh, sort of juked stats. I think oh yes, he does. Instead or, of ninety percent, it's it's almost a hundred percent. Right. Or that s- ISIS is driven out of Iraq, and yeah. <laughs> right. 
Um, I haven't seen anything that is a sort of bald face lie that sticks out as being like obviously. Uh, yeah, it was actually more completely... mu- 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 a little muted yeah. compared to some of his speeches. I think I think his script his somebody wrote it. His writers yeah. were, were were very circumspect and and interestingly, it seemed like they didn't give him a lot of room to use hyperbole or to exaggerate. Or he or didn't to... take it because sometimes he goes right off script. Yeah, you know, that's, that's true. <laughs> sort of the uh oh, here we go. Uh, I think the big claim as far as uh, sort of domestic policy was that. Uh, was the was how job growth has been doing, and in fairness, doing good it's, numbers today too. It is true. Yeah, we uh, two over two hundred thousand. I think. I think that's right. Um, the, the context, I believe, is that the uh, is that that is kind of well, certainly liberals and people on the left, I think, would say that that is a continuation of the Obama of the Obama policies, the, you know, the Obama regime, and you know, the first year of the president's term. It's tough to take credit for any economic trends because that's more of a long-term cyclical Do you remember when uh, Bush W. Bush uh, came in and the first thing he said is we're headed into a recession and it's Clinton's fault? I don't know if you remember that, but he wasn't even – he was like the day of his inauguration. And everybody's like, what? We've just had the hugest boom. And it was true that it did really soften as he came into office. But, you right. know – Trump's speech, his his ratings are up, so I guess it was a good speech. Yeah, you know, I mean, we give uh, presidents uh, and their approval rating, especially, often kind of lives and dies by the you know the economic Economics. trends. Like James Carville said, it's the economy stupid. But the the relationship between policy as the president as the executive office can kind of promulgate it and actual economic impact is very. It's difficult. It's to, years sometimes. It's things. years, and it's yeah. very indirect. And really, what Congress does has mu- has a much greater uh, impact on the economy. But Congress but, is, yeah. you know, five hundred thirty five people. I was going to say though, when you tell people they can drill for um, was it vanadium and something else in Bears Ears uh, National oh, Monument, right, right. and you open it up, and the date to start to put your bids in is like three weeks from now. That does kind of jumpstart the economy. Yeah, yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? You can really plunder quickly. Well, exactly. I mean, this there's a lot of is that a uh, pejorative term? I th- guess. <laughs> well, I mean, there's a there that I think has been a big legacy is the uh, of this first year is the rollback of, of environmental protections. Yeah. You know, both kind of long contested ones like in Alaska and also just national parks here and there. Oh, and the coal, the whole coal and, you know, right. self-reliant energy. I yeah, mean, and he's still pushing coal, yeah. even though the coal industry is still stagnating and doesn't really show any many signs of turning around just because of structural factors. I mean, natural gas and oil and other forms of energy are just, it's very tough for coal to compete. So it's... I know that was kind of his campaign. Well, he doesn't rhetoric, want to but... seem to be changing his mind, right? He just wants to keep pounding it. Somebody, I, where I forget where I heard this, so I probably shouldn't even mention it, but they were saying that actually what may happen is that China, even though they're doing so much wind and solar and, and trying to get away from polluting, they need a lot of coal, and it is possible that our coal miners will start getting coal for China to yeah. export. And it's like... Oh. How ironic. Yeah. And, you know, as long as the air pollution stays over there, I'm just kidding. Well, that's not that's not a given if you yeah. look at how uh, wind Port currents... California bring, comes right across, right? Right. Yeah. Across the Pacific Ocean. So, um, 
but the stock, you know, the stock market has continued to boom. Although until today, until today, <laughs> it dropped what six hundred sixty-six points. I think it's the memo that did that. <laughs> it's it's very interesting. Yeah, all a lot of the papers. You know, we were talking about truth last week and how you say things sometimes is right. And and a lot of the, the newspapers and the um, news outlets, not papers really. Um, I saw Dow drops over six hundred and fifty points. Instead of putting the real number in there, and then somebody put the real number in there, and I said, "I wonder why they're putting in six 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 you know <laughs> it's so perfect, yeah, I mean yeah it's it's it is it's like when they did that picture of Dukakis in the red pickup truck during the presidential run. you wouldn't remember it, but there was a whole series of Joe the Liar, which were advertisements about this guy who lied, and he would be in the back of a red pickup truck and they they put the ad across in Time Magazine across from Dukakis's ad, oh. just so you would look at the Make Joe that the Liar association. yeah, and then there's you know Dukakis in the back of a red pickup truck, yeah, it was those go. things you know they're not subliminal, but they're you know they can they can put a picture of somebody who's not the criminal right next to it and right. and you don't know which person it is that's actually a criminal and well uh, speaking as a denizen of internet culture oh, that's, that's, that's a meme yeah that's like a proto meme right there <laughs> you know you sort of have an image or an idea and you reformulate it based on context and yeah. you it's you know it's almost like a a visual joke yeah. you know it's like uh, it, there's a punchline that you keep returning yeah. to yeah so well, and artists do that really well to criticize the culture that they're in. They do it in a, you know, right. a, a exactly. more refined way. So I just thought that was interesting that that's what the that's what some of the financial papers were running with was the, the Dow yeah, drops rather six, restrained, six, six, I six. think, <laughs> of them. Maybe they didn't want that headline, yeah. those, three, those three numbers together. Yeah, and for people that don't know what we're talking about, that's a um, demon-esque. The, the, the mark of the beast. <laughs> it's the I mark of the beast, the... so... <laughs> Is the term of it, but um, so much to go over in that uh, State yeah, of the Union. There really is. Well, is the what, the long wasn't it one of the longest in recent history? I think only Clinton beat him by like nine minutes, and Clinton <laughs> had almost a third again as many words, which is interesting. I was surprised huh. by that because Clinton's not a fast talker. True. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Yeah, they would, they had a little chart and they were showing. I was like, oh, how did Clinton get all those words in and only took nine minutes more? Wow. What was no? Was that ninety six or was that? Uh, I think it was his first one. Oh, his I, first ninety ninety three. Yeah, probably. Is that right? I because um, the first year they don't do a State of the Union, right? They because they just came in. Right. Right. And then they do it. They do something. Okay, so ninety four. Ninety four. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure of that though. So one of them, one <laughs> of them back in the nineties, uh, but. Uh, yeah, that's that's true. The ice, his sort of uh, pivot for foreign policy was how ISIS is essentially uh, been all but neutralized, driven out of, and then they what did they get in um, Iraq? They they just got a couple of things. They just bombed a couple of things in Iraq, I think. Yeah, well, Iraq, ISIS has kind of had a Helmet, is it the Helmand pro- province where they're back? Helmand Helmand province, he very very well could be. Yeah. Um, Sorry, ISIS has had kind of a stronger hold in Iraq than in Syria, in part because the areas of Syria that they controlled were a lot more, were kind of like the desert outback area of Syria, whereas Iraq, they had sort of like actual Mosul, cities and stuff. And yeah, they had more of a hold. Once they got uh, kicked out of Raqqa in northern Syria, it was kind of the beginning of the end for them. So fa- in fairness, they have driven, you know, over the last year and a half, they have driven them back out of all the 
you know, right. caliphate that they had. Although I should I should point out, you know, uh, I mean, Trump really makes this seem like it's direct U.S. action, but in fact. This is the product of a lot of Russians and Syrians. And well, yeah, these, <laughs> and especially the Kurds in northern Syria, oh, yes, who were the, right. basically the ground troops that were supported with um, U.S. Air Force kind of bombs. Yep. Um, I don't uh, the the bombing in Iraq. Um, there was a twin suicide bombing in Baghdad. It was Baghdad itself. Yeah, uh, you'll see that on the Facebook yeah. soon. Yeah, I saw a piece, and I, you know, I don't always take all the notes. I should because we do other yeah. things. <laughs> it's almost. I mean, I hate. I hate how it's almost not even news anymore. Oh, it it, it really. You know, it's been fifteen years of almost fifteen years since. You know, I remember what two thousand three. I remember the announcement. I was in school at the time. Oh I was yeah, in like middle school basically, or ninth grade, or I think it was ninth grade at the time, and and you know. The, uh, our instructor put on the TV, and we stopped what we were doing and watched George W. Bush basically announce that there that was we going were to be an invasion. There. Yeah. I was like, I can't believe it's been almost 15 years, yeah. and and still, you know, and we're, we're still there. It's still in Afghanistan the, too, right? The, the great morass. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, there was. Uh, I I thought it was interesting how he he on in terms of sort of domestic culture issues, he sort of soft pedaled. He he struck a conciliatory note a little, you know, a little bit in terms of uh, yeah, protect protecting every religion, color, and creed. Although I note that you put, <laughs> he didn't put sexual preference, uh, women or sexual identity. Yeah, um, it was a very short list. Usually that list is about seven items. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know, I know. Well, it's interesting because the religion, color, and creed part, those are sort of the older yeah. rights yeah. Uh, struggles that it, are... It might have been race, religion, color, and creed, but I I was writing pretty quick, so I was like, what? Yeah, I'll have to go back and, and yeah, look at the exact Yeah, we can one. sort out what he actually listed, but religion was was probably the first one because that's been his big... Right, um, yeah, his sort. That's, that's the pillar of his support in many yeah. ways, um, is heavily religious Americans. Yeah. Um, Paid family leave surprised me. He mentioned that he was going to promote that. Um, to protect our citizens of every background, color, religion, and creed. Thank you, Dr. Roberts. Yeah, <laughs> the truth. And it's sort of, I mean, on one hand, that's that's the sort of bromide Wasn't that politicians hand though. out. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he said color. So. Yeah. I guess no. I'm not gonna. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> hold, hold me back. I, no, I'm just like. Well, he said, I can't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I felt like it was the 50s, and that we'd just gotten a TV set, and people would say stuff like that. Yeah. You know? well, well, it seems to have bumped Although his the TV polling was black at and least white. slightly. Yeah, um, I saw one that was 49, but that was. 40, um, oh yeah. They averaged them all together, but it did bump. He has bumped up a little bit. Yeah, I've, I mean, I've looked at five five thirty eight is sort of my go to for aggregate po- oh, yes. polling yep. aggregation. Rasmussen, that's um, the one who had him. Rasmussen reports are another good. Also, <laughs> real, real clear politics do some, although they don't weight polls in the same way. So sometimes I think you get a little more of a volatile reading yeah. from RCP. But yeah, and I saw Rasmussen because I was on RCP real real clear politics because they show a lot of different ones. So you really get a sense that the Newsmax one has them at ninety and the yeah right <laughs> right exactly. Well, that's the <laughs> thing. Huffington is that Post has them at zero. Certain polls have a lean 
one yeah. way or another. And within the business, that lean is well known. But it's also very easy to cherry pick individual polls and say, look, look at this. You know, <laughs> but you've got to place it in context. First of all, even if it's, if it's a great polling outfit, it's only one poll. Yeah. And statistically, it's, you know, polling is improved by doing many different tries. Um, and, and it's getting harder to do to reach people who actually talk to you. Yeah, and exactly. There's so many more different media. And, you know, whether you use landline and cell phone or just cell phone or just landline, you can get very different results. Uh, as someone that used to do um, phone surveys, oh, uh, th there there are certain surveys that have to be done um on a randomized basis and if you uh if you have like cell phones like you can carry them anywhere if i move to alaska then i'll still have uh my my 413 uh area code phone number right. so uh when you get especially with um the governmental uh surveys you need to randomize the the phone numbers so you put in the area code you know where it is you know exactly where they live and then uh, you also use the transfer number, and then you can random randomize the rest. And as we were doing those, sometimes we would get pay phones, sometimes we would get businesses. Oh, um, interesting. Uh, but you have to be careful not to get cell phones. That's one of the first questions because if you where are you exactly? Yeah. There, there's no way there's no way to verify where that where that person is. That's why I carry a cell phone. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but no, a lot of people are getting very. They don't pick up the phone. They don't want to be polled. Oh they, God, no! It's very know? true. Yeah. And yeah. so, what do you do when you have fifty people in a row that hang up or, yeah, you almost get fired. <laughs> you almost. Because <laughs> it's your fault. That's well, no I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I could tell you stories. I mean, I was <laughs> I actually was a, a refusal converter, so I got the people that um, said I don't want to talk to you. Oh, that's a week fun. later. Who did, oh. you, who did you? Who? How did you get them mad enough to give you that job? Oh, I, <laughs> I got a lot of conversions. Oh, good. All right then. That's <laughs> why you've helped in the station here because you converted <laughs> a lot of people that were. Well, that's that's the thing. Like you have to make make sure that you have accurate information, which is going mm -hmm. back to the polling thing. Uh, we did polling as well, and you have to make sure that you know that where the person is, that you know um that you're that they're telling the truth in some cases and you have to make sure that they uh fit into the poll that you're looking for if they're not an african-american and you're looking for african-american opinions then you have to make sure that they're not mm -hmm. um and you can only go by like what they tell you but still yeah so um Sorry, I can, Interesting. I can just go on about that. No, but that's the problem with polling. I mean, that's it's really the intensive. The devil is in the details. Well, and you need really good people who will, you know, stay working there, which obviously genre has escaped. So, yeah. <laughs> and we're glad of that. Uh, one of the the jokes that we had uh, was um, uh, someone went into the HR office, and they uh, and HR was like, "Well, we need to hire more people," and they said, "Well, my friend can." If my friend needs a job, I, um, what are you looking for? Uh, they they said, do they have hands? Yes. <laughs> do they have a pulse? Yes. Bring them in. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> there you are. Yeah. That's how the sausage gets made, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I did think it was interesting. The, the Washington Post was fact-checking um, this speech, uh, or and uh, they pointed out that the, the Trump tax cut is actually – you know, he, he claimed it was – this was sort of one of the ones he, they dinged him for, yeah. was that he claimed it, it was the biggest uh, tax cuts. Uh, well, the quote was, uh, 
Just as I promised the American people from this podium 11 months ago, we enacted the biggest tax cuts and reform in American history. It's a bit of a sentence fragment, but I think he gets his point across. Um, and, but it's actually Not it's quite small. I think, what, what did they say? It was, uh, po- it, the Trump tax cut constitutes 0.9% of GDP which compares to 2.89% of GDP for Ronald Reagan's oh, tax the 1980s. cut in 1981. Yeah. Right. Um, it's actually only the eighth largest in, I, I believe, so in So that's kind of a history. whopper then. Yeah. <laughs> that was that was one that they kind of went after him for. Yeah. Um, I'm glad bit. it's not that big because it's really going to hurt the country. <laughs> well, so I so in some ways, I'm glad he exaggerated and it's not true. slightly relieved. I shouldn't say that. Um, <laughs> and he did say uh, roughly 3 million workers have already gotten tax cut bonuses. Uh, quote, many of them thousands of dollars per worker. Oh. Which they sort of said, well, that's up to a thousand. They, and... Yeah, they massaged it a little bit. Was it really would be more accurate to say many of them got hundreds of dollars yeah. because that's what it's going to be. Yeah, Lowe's I think uh, said up to a thousand, and it's mostly folks are going to get seventy five dollars. And right, you know, if you've been there twenty years, you're going to get a thousand dollars. Right, ex- yeah. exactly. You know, but which the, is, I mean, that's what companies do. But it's just funny how he's really portraying this as well. Right, know. and these are the kind of language games that get played in big you know, centerpiece speeches like this. I do, uh, I sort of, it's a bit of a hobby horse of mine, but it seems like every president, Democrat, Republican, and really every politician insists on pegging economic prospects to the stock market index. And it just drives me nuts because the stock market's relationship to bread and butter economy issues for average people is sometimes it's the opposite it's always well yeah it's i mean it's always been tenuous relationship but especially recently i mean the stock market has has boomed it's that quantitative easing all that all that free cash flow yeah. around that's actually done that and it right. and it bids it up it's like having people speculating right right actually it is speculation so i should just leave it alone and well, <laughs> call, call it that but well, yeah yeah so the speculation's going really well it does mean that people are optimistic in some way i think so. well I, the investment class is optimistic yeah. Yeah. um and i think and i think traditionally you're right is that sort of people you know i guess average folks will look at the stock market to see how you're things are doing i think recently that there's become much more of a jaundiced view about the stock market i mean it's there's a lot more mistrust of especially coming out of the 2008 recession of how well the financial oh, industry is actually halved. representing people lost half their you know if they got out and when it went down they lost half their pension right at that you know for and those first two or three out. years yeah. yeah 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 it's very interesting to to see the psychology of that you know cryptocurrency is taking a hit this yes. week too, um, and a lot of Bitcoin. people went to uh, crypto, you know, to Bitcoin and places like that, sort of as an alternative economy. Yeah, Bitcoin. I've seen. I've been reading some, you know, a fair amount about it, and sort of reading debates back and forth about how seriously it, it deserves to be taken as a currency. I mean, part of the problem is that it it's so volatile because it's base. It doesn't. It it's not tied to a standard in the same way. Or that, a country, or or a country, right? I mean, I, I mean, I guess you could make similar criticisms about the federal exchange or the federal yeah, reserve. Yeah, but at least there's the appearance of, of and other countries a treat it as if it was, uh, you know, the international currency. Right. So it's it's the the dollar's buying power is in yeah. in many ways it's it's its own surety. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, cryptocurrency is interesting in part because Reserve blockchain currency, technology right? is sort of this, this uh, you know, uh, dis, you know, sort of distributed uh, anonymizing force that I think is interesting to people because it's it removes the relationship between buyer, seller, and currency and makes it possible to do. Which is why uh, Bitcoin was used for a lot of dark net purchases you know if you wanted to buy a you know packet of marijuana from sweden you'd do it with through through bitcoin for quite a few years but now it's now they're making a push to kind of legitimize it and make it something that you can exchange for currency at was, like your gas station was it ja the japanese cryptocurrency that just disappeared it was like um oh. there was some huge just just disappeared it's like they don't know that it was hacked yeah. or what i think it was japanese right? uh, there was there was one cryptocurrency that um the uh uh the person that ran it basically just shut down their servers i'm gonna i'll i'll look it up over the break but um yeah and it, it was, was within the last really two or three strange. weeks it kind of broke right yeah um just so you know the current um worth of a bitcoin is about eighty seven hundred dollars Mm -hmm. That's one coin. One coin, and and coins have been as high as twenty thousand in the oh, last. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. there Mark. was a funny story. Uh, the, the guy that um the 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 CEO of Ripple, which is another cryptocurrency, and obviously he has a lot of money in in Ripple. Um, the it shot up so much that he was the richest man in America for five days. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. And then it dropped again. Should have cashed out. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna cash out of my own company. I'm oh gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk about having <laughs> a run on the bank. The yeah, he had like fifty six like million dollars or something like that. Like something billion. Steve Wozniak yeah. did that from Apple. He 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 bought Bitcoin when it was like seven hundred. Yeah. For and then cashed out when it hit as one soon of the as early it, peaks. Yeah. And, and, you know, people are like, well, why didn't you stay on? He's like, I'm not in this, you know, yeah. I'm not trying I'm to build a fortune rich. on this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's well, Steve Wozniak. Yeah. Yeah. He literally prints money, prints $2 bills. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's, I mean, this is the trip. The trouble is you get these up and downs, and, and then you get kind of these mini market panics when people are, um, it's always fun to hang out in, like, the forums when this oh, is going down and yeah. watch people, like, as they're losing their shirts Except then, if they stay on, they might get it back again yep. the next day. Yeah, it's so, it becomes so like a volatile. Game of chicken. Yeah, like who hangs on the longest? Yeah, um, even when the investments and are, how are, are they going rewarded? Down. But yeah, um, yeah I, I see all these stories about people who bought bitcoins back, like way back, like ten bitcoins back in the early days, and then you know, like <laughs> like they lost, like their hard drive crashed or something, or I mean, because it's all online. Yeah, so you can't. Something you happens. can't prove it. Uh, treasury bills are like that now. In the olden days, olden days, <laughs> olden um, days. you know, ten or fifteen or twenty years ago, you would actually get a treasury bond in the mail, and mm. you would put it away somewhere, and it would, you know, become uh, would mature. Now it's just a little electronic record, so it's you know that's not it. It's not that reassuring, actually. Yeah. <laughs> all it takes is one more. Yep. You ever tried to call the government and get a ticket or some tax that you have that's not correct, you know, at the federal level? Can you imagine trying to say, but I had these treasury bills. I really did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I got them at yeah. work. I don't have any of the serial numbers. I'm sorry. <laughs> who can? Well, although who by can... the same token, if you got the treasury bill and something happened to it. If it burned, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. there's sort of no like record of it or no... Well, I think there were some records, but they're not quite like bearer bonds because bearer bonds, if I mm – -hmm. a lot of the drug folks use bearer bonds because 
they're not they're anonymized you can't nobody right, knows who right. has them and if you have it you own it basically so a lot of the drug people hide their money in bearer bonds so. but yeah it's interesting i shouldn't anyway <laughs> i'll leave it at that that's for the bonus show. <laughs> yeah um <laughs> yeah the son of a vice president of a bank who told me that who was a drug dealer well that's the thing a lot of these financial <laughs> and his father told him how to <laughs> oh really yeah. oh wow there's a <laughs> Yeah. There's a fun story. Well, you know, you don't want to lose the money, right? Well, of he's course a banker, not. Yeah. <laughs> even though his son was a drug dealer. Well, that's dealer. the big, you know, a lot of drug kingpins, the quest, the money laundering becomes a serious issue because they yeah, want... to be good at it. Yeah. yeah. And if they want to rise above the street level, they have to figure out how to sort of put a legitimate front out. That's, that's why a lot of the... That's why I'm so interested in, you know, in... Uh, sort of the true crime stories like David Simon's shows because he actually goes into how you sort of and a lot of it is real estate. Yeah. Real estate, especially in big cities. You're is not a alleging way to park. that Trump and Russia or anything, right? <laughs> oh, I certainly <laughs> wouldn't ever do that. Uh. <laughs> but I do think that uh that is part of why we're having such a hard time in these real estate markets is because so many powerful people oh, have speculation and it's parked front. in real estate. And yeah. of course they don't want and that politicians and the rest of them alike, they don't want regulations that are going to break down that that kind of inflated market because yeah. their value is, is tied up in that. One more thing. Uh, there is a rash of um, banks that own a lot of property, uh, mm -hmm. that, that own rental properties, um, and they uh, – have exorbitant fees and they and they jack up the the rent price and one of the things that people um are finding that if you have a broken oven usually if you if your oven breaks through no fault of your own then the landlord comes in and fixes it or replaces it uh, with a bank if if they own it then they don't do that <laughs> Or and they it's hard charge to track you a, down who, yeah, who has to come or who's exactly, there. or they they have like one repairman for like. I a bet bunch they get traded. That sounds like a bubble market, right? Yeah, there. basically, traded. yeah. And you have to. And the problem with renters is they can't like cash out or anything like that. Right, they're stuck because mm -hmm. they they're paying every every month to, for no equity. Mm -hmm. Do you mm -hmm. think that the banks got those properties through the you know when the big collapse happened because a lot of banks ended up owning foreclosure. Well, yeah. they owned. I assume. Yeah, you think yeah. that's yeah. how they came to it, or, or at least Probably. a part of the market. Meaning the, the rent, rental pro people that own rental properties were underwater just as much as people that own their own homes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, some I bet sometimes more so because. Uh, there's a lot more tied up in a rental property than than a house, and a few people, a few empty apartments, and you're in trouble. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. But we do have to uh, come through a break, and we'll play some station promos and PSAs and other announcements, and we'll be back in just a couple minutes. This is Civil Politics on Valley Free Radio. Thanks for listening. Classical music on Valley Free Radio. Tune into Andy Musique. Wednesday mornings at 7 a.m. for an hour of beautiful music to start your day. Hosted by Lucy and Larry. Hi, I'm Amy Goodman, host of Democracy Now! You're listening to Valley Free Radio, WXOJLP 103.3 FM in Northampton, Massachusetts. 
Today, community broadcasting is more important than ever. Corporate interests affect what music we hear on commercial radio, and real news and opinion take a backseat to ratings and profits. Valley Free Radio is owned by its members, operated by volunteers. It's programming created by your friends and neighbors, and it's wholly supported by the community. Please consider going to www.valleyfreeradio.org donate to support free speech in the Pioneer Valley. Thank you so much. This is Andrew Farris of NXS. Hi, this is David Santos with Eddie Japan. Hi, this is Midjuf Multiple. This is Charlie Crisis, Eddie London. Hi, I'm John Waters. Hello, this is Mary Gold of Alphaville. Hello, this is Daniel Ash from Bathhouse, turns on Bell and Love and Rocket. And my name is Wendy, host of Subculture, a music program featuring new wave, electronic, indie, and funk music. You can catch my show every Friday night from 8 to 10 p.m. But if you miss out, no worries. The Forbes Library staff would like to remind you of the incredible resource that you have in your local public library. We have tens of thousands of books for you to check out, music CDs, movies, newspapers from around the region, the state, and the country. We have a wide variety of magazines and free computer and internet access every day. We also have our incredible reference services there to help you answer particularly vexing problems. All of this is free, locally available at 20 West Street in Northampton. So come by and check us out in person or at www.forbeslibrary.org or call 587-1011 for more information. Sundays at 10 a.m., WXOJ's radio show, Occupy the Airwaves, has the latest news from the occupation movement, locally, regionally, nationally, and around the planet. Tune in at 103.3 FM or webcasting at www.valleyfreeradio.org. Blogging at occupytheairwaves.wordpress.com. Listeners can call into the show at 413-585-1033. Table of Contents is a weekly music program that assembles an assortment of songs and sounds of many genres, and which may entail literally taking a random collection of musical sources off the shelf and giving them a turn on the table or spin in the CD or tape player. Each week presenting shows which can at times be organized orderly and at other times perhaps be not as much so, yet never dull. Tune in Friday nights, 10 p.m. till midnight on WXOJ LP, Northampton 103.3 FM. Hey, this is Blue Streak. I'm the host of the show with BS, the newest addition to the WXOJ lineup. You can hear us Mondays at 11 p.m. for the best overnight radio you'll ever hear on a, on a Monday night. We'll talk about everything that's relevant to us. Music, movies, TV, games, and whatever else happens to spill out of the piñata that is my head. Monday nights, 11 p.m. here on XOJ. For all the music and news that nerds can use, it's the show with BS and WXOJ. This is Andrew Farris of NXS. Hi, this is David Santos with Eddie Japan. Hi, this is Midjuf Multiple. This is Charlie Crisis, Eddie London. Hi, I'm John Waters. Hello, this is Mary Gold of Alphaville. Hello, this is Daniel Ash from Bathhouse, turns on Bell and Love and Rocket. And my name is Wendy, host of Subculture, a music program featuring new wave, electronic, indie, and funk music. You can catch my show every Friday night from 8 to 10 p.m. But if you miss out, no worries. You work hard for your wages, so you need to know most workers should receive at least the federal minimum wage and hopefully more. Also, most workers should receive overtime if they work more than 40 hours in seven days. These are the laws for everyone, documented or not. 
Have questions about your wages? Call the U.S. Department of Labor Wage and Hour Division. It's free and confidential. Call 1-866-487-9243. That's 1-866-4-US-WAGE. We can help. A message from the U.S. Department of Labor. And we're back here on Civil Politics on Valley Free Radio, WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM. I'm Stefan Ward-Wheaton, executive producer and sit-in host uh, for Michael Dow, who's away in his second week. He should be rejoining us next week, but I'm here with Sue Timberlake. He can get over the wall. Yep. (laughs) He's in Mexico. Yes. (laughs) Well, there you have it, the scoop, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) From John Roberts, who of course is here, helping us manning manning our um, online presence. And I hope he doesn't try and come back by one of those pot cannons. You know that they shoot the bales of <laughs> right. They, which they, it's why the wall needs to be transparent, right? So you can see those uh, getting ready to over the other side and twenty something feet, so the angle is a little short. Right? Yeah. So well. <laughs> Well, we'll have to adjust it for Mike. We'll have to we'll have to work on that. But um, quick note: you can find us once again online, facebook.com slash civil politics radio, and also on Twitter, twitter.com slash civil politics at civil politics FM, excuse me, or just at civil politics FM. And uh, also, those uh, two will cross post posts to uh, Facebook will cross post to Twitter, so you can follow along during the show. And uh, for classic episodes, head to our website, civilpoliticsradio.com. And uh, you can also email us, civilpoliticsradio at valleyfreeradio.org. And uh, we do have our hashtag, Civil References, where we post uh, news from sort of approved news sites that uh, we all consider to be reputable and, uh, and well-sourced. And uh, we, uh, Dr. Roberts, did you want to sort of talk a little more about that? Sure. Um, yeah, I just want, first I want to give a little shout out uh, to one of our Twitter followers. Uh, I can find it here. Okay, here it is. Uh, the Unum Pundit. Um, the, uh, they uh, wrote in and suggested that we add uh, some more sources to our news search, which I think was a great idea. Mm. So we're, um, I found uh, some more news sources that um, I'm trying to make sure that are on the left and the right, but, uh, but still have very factual uh, reporting. So we, we as, a, as a group... As a as a show, are going to put together a list, and we're going to revamp the the news search, and those will be the recommended news sources from civil politics. Awesome stuff. Yeah, yeah. We it's we good. will continue to be sort of developing that, and we're also we're always interested in input if people uh, feel like we we should be including a source that we aren't including, or you take exception to a news source that we've included for whatever reason. You can always uh, contact us at the aforementioned social media and internet portals. Because we I, always do that to each other, too. Yes. So. <laughs> we we I, blame each other more than any of our audience. I pay attention to all of our social media. Um, I get all the messages. I, I receive all the emails. I try to read everything um, and uh, respond. So, uh, like... Uh, we I just got this message on Twitter. I was like, oh, I should I should look into that. And then I had a nice conversation with them uh, and uh, took their took their uh, suggestions of sources to the to the panel. So uh, we're going to research all of that. And when it is uh, 
revamped, then we will definitely let you know on the website and on the on the Facebook and on the Twitter. And that's what we'll let you know. Good stuff. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> Thank oh, you. Uh, just a quick note. Um, the State of the Union, yeah. uh, I was doing some live blogging. Yes, you were. So uh, if you want to look back, it's the hashtag civil SOTU. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, and that's still up there, of course. You can go back and access that. Um, and and maybe you'll want to watch again and follow along <laughs> yeah. with our, our <laughs> trademark commentary that you can't find anywhere else. There you go. Every uh, year. Every Do year. it every year. Every year. It's we, true. We're suckers for punishment on oh, civil yeah. politics. I call it the I call the State of the Union the 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 Super Bowl of politics. Oh yeah, <laughs> it basically is. So the new presidents do lay out what they're going to do, whether you like it or not. At least they they put the, put it in the headlines. That so. is basically where they outline their priorities for the yeah. year. Uh, so it is it, no matter who it is or what the speech is, it's going to be important. Yeah, yeah, true that. And uh, he he did go back through a lot of his quote accomplishments, and I I won't go over those here because I didn't write them down. But um, it's it's interesting because uh, Clinton Clinton would do that too. He would go mm. through, and you know you'd really for, have forgotten that he did this and he did that and he did right. that. Most of the ones for Trump I recognize because they've been touted for the last six months. So it's you know Clinton actually when he would do his State of the Union, I would remember. Oh yeah, that's right. He signed that. Yeah, yeah. Obama too. Oh yeah, that's right. He signed Lily Ledbetter that first week. He was on. Right, you know, you right. forget by the time you get to the end of the year. Well, yeah, and that is the role of these speeches is to be sort of a, you know, a summary in yeah. many ways, a kind of an abstract of the political year that the presidency has had. But you, but of course, the opposition always gets their response. And oh yes. <laughs> this time, the Democrats pick Joe Kennedy the third who's a, Mass- a, a Massachusetts Democrat serving in the House of Representatives. And of is course, he Robert's is, son? I think he's Robert's son. I right? believe he's Robert's son, yes. Yeah. Robert right. Jr.'s son. Ju- yeah, RF, RF, RFK. Yeah. Um, uh, RFK Jr. That's me. not a dynasty, um, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> I, many would say that it is. <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, I have to say it is an interesting choice coming off of... Uh, uh, an the election criticisms in which, of yeah yeah in which the the Democratic Party was talking a lot about dynastic politics and sort of the and there's a gen a strong generational split I think mm-hmm. between a lot of people on the left and the sort of in the liberal center I guess um, yeah and I always pointed out that the Bushes were a dynasty because it was father and son and right. brother and where's the Clintons. That's not really a dynasty. From my perspective, it's not generational in the sense that it's from one generation. They make their Mm. money. They, you know, they set up their children to be in the... Chelsea says, hold my wine. Yeah, yeah. Chelsea Chelsea will be, you know, sort of a Well, we'll have to see. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll have to see what happens with the next generation of the Obamas as Malia and Sasha come of age. It'll be interesting to see. Or maybe Michelle Obama will... uh, I mean, she's famously averse to politics, so I don't see it likely, but... Shaking um, his head, no. Yeah, <laughs> if she does, then I'll no. I there's no. I way. would I would be shocked. I mean, I think she would be make a great senator just from her poise. I don't know about her. About she'd have her. to be drag kicking and screaming. Yeah, it, basically, she yeah. She, she she'd really rather be it. a lot more effective. Yeah. I think. <laughs> she'd yeah. Well, maybe that's true. <laughs> Can you imagine? I mean, look at all the retirements this year in the House and Senate. It's yeah. it's it's gathering. Trey Gowdy from South Carolina, a Republican congressman from a fairly safe. 
yeah. conservative seat in South Carolina is retiring, which is interesting to me. And he's been a little mean-spirited, and he seems to be having fun being mean-spirited. So, you know, he's not the kind that I would think right. would just would, would kind of cause he seemed slink off. Sort of like ISIS. Daryl Isis loved poking people with a stick. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah and yeah. yet he retired. To, yeah, it's funny because... Daryl Isis, I can understand, because he... <laughs> They've been going after him, and his district has been getting. Oh, okay. So he, it was he, a local when he, issue. When he was first yeah. elected, his district was a safe Republican district, and with the political changes in southern, in the San Diego area, it's becoming very more blue. So mm-hmm. he's, I think, he had a big target on his back. But you're right that yeah. he he was a real catbird, especially uh, oh. in the House Intelligence oh, Committee. He just he, he went after everybody. So many people. Yeah, yeah. it was it was relentless. Um, By the way, a little note: um, we probably won't go to this, but um, Northern California, they just did a huge roundup of businesses. ICE just did a huge... Oh. I just saw a piece this afternoon. They just did it, and that's all I know about it. Rounding but, people up. Yeah, yeah, going to businesses and rounding up people asking for their papers. So, 77 businesses. 77, yeah. Yeah, that's going to be a chilling sort of fact of life, I think, in a lot of these places yeah. for, uh, you know, for the next few years at least. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> and yet, I don't. I don't hear anything about the business owners, which is interesting. They they never go after the business. Yeah, I don't know. Well, the enforcement mechanisms may be different to state by state, I'd, and it. Of course, we're talking about ICE, which is a federal agency, so yeah. they you know they they have their own agenda. But I don't know. Is does ICE have a mandate to prosecute? Because it's one thing if you're going if you're. Uh, if if they're empowered to find people who are here without proper documentation, it's another thing to prosecute employers for a violation of labor law. Yeah. Does, that would fall under, I would think, DOL or or that um, check ID or ID check. You know where you put the social security number in and you get back, and it needs to match the person and all that, which right. has never really been enforced. But that that's on the books. I mean, it is sure. Yeah. But I just always find it interesting that they go after the folks and not the employer, who's really making the money off it. Well, exactly. That's where the yeah. profit is, and that's where the incentive for illegal yeah. immigration comes from. From the business side, yeah. is the cheap labor. Yeah. Um, but I, we're sidebarring a little bit. Sorry. I do want to go back and <laughs> what did you think of Joe Kennedy's uh, Joe Kennedy third's it. response? I it's very hard to have listened to a whole hour and a half speech and then go into another right. one. Yeah. But I thought it was a it was interesting choice of a school down in Fall River, I think. Which I don't know right. is that even in his district? I don't think and it is. I think it. Um, I'll have to check eighth? on that. I forget. Which I think he's from that part of the state, the south, kind of southeastern. So sure. um, yeah. Part, but Fall yeah. River is kind of a less prominent city, sort of more post-industrial yeah, working class. Yeah, used to be a um, fishing, right? Uh, big fishing, big Portuguese population, yeah. I think. Um, yeah. But he's, I, I think, the choice of him is interesting because, on the one hand, he's a younger guy, he's what thirty-seven, yeah. I think, yeah. and he has red hair, which you know, <laughs> <laughs> and right. they're going don't, extinct. From don't what count I understand. those gingers out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, but whoa, whoa. <laughs> uh, someone actually got in trouble for for calling him a, a like a, a stinking little ginger or something like that. Oh, oh wow. dear, yeah. Oh well, I certainly, I certainly Hilarious. wouldn't append those adjectives in front of it. But see, I grew up in the age um, of Maureen O'Hara, and red hair is quite becoming. So we'll leave it at that. So it still is for yeah. many people. Um, it is. It is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, but on the other hand, he's tied to this. Very old, and uh, I mean old in in current political memory. Yeah, uh, democratic the, the Kennedy, yep. 
And I think I thought it was kind of an interesting... I I saw it as an attempt to bridge that gap because you have this big generational divide, also a divide between the Democratic establishment and sort of the grassroots... Uh, activists. Oh, so he could tie uh, the tie the groups together by. I think that reference. was the calculation, and also some somebody else made the point. I don't remember where I saw this, but that you didn't see any of the big presidential contenders on the Democratic side who are sort of eyeing like Gillibrand, Booker, yeah. Sanders, Warren, because to give any one of them that prominence to or give or to response, damage them, because a lot of times it's or that, very hard yeah. to. It it's just you just don't have the audience in the cachet, right? So right. you there want seems to be these weird gaffes that the the opposition yeah. like uh, Bobby Jindal's kind of stumbled a little bit. Um, who is the guy who was drinking too much water? Um, Rubio. Rubio, thank you, Marco, Marco Rubio, Rubio was was like just yeah. looked like he had cotton mouth or something. Yeah. Um, so it's yeah, it's kind of this sort of difficult difficult thing to nail to do i mean well. i thought he did i thought I, he was as well a as you can do yep. speaker yeah and he he sort of was provided this very forthright uh opposition rebuttal yep. tool you know which it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how democrats find someone with a voice that is a clear alternative to trump's because yeah. and what, gets traction and gets traction and yeah. can sort of take rhetorical ground back from him because one one thing trump does and i think does well is to kind of uh flood the zone if you will take a football term because this the uh, super bowl is coming up um oh, that's this weekend yeah <laughs> philly versus uh boston but i actually have a wager with a friend in philly oh really yeah we'll okay. see somebody's right. gonna get somebody's gonna get dinner okay good that's a good <laughs> the that's a eagles good she said they're the eagles they're not the eagles the eagles uh, <laughs> in, yeah sort of new jersey south philly <laughs> accent the eagles doesn't matter oh <laughs> they I'm going to win, right? Is that what you're saying? Because I bet on the, you know, Pats, of course. Why wouldn't you? (laughs) (laughs) Smart money goes where smart money goes. I'm sorry. Where are we right now? We are legally obligated to say go Pats, but go Pats. (laughs) I don't know. You get get further out in Western Mass, things get a little more interesting sports-wise. they're weird. (laughs) Yeah, Western Mass. Who who knows about those people? Those are are hill people. (laughs) We don't talk to them. Please, they're the Highlanders. Highlanders. (laughs) They're just cutting each other's heads off. That's what's going on. Um, Okay. We've gone off We've digressed to the Pats. Well, the Kennedys to the Pats. Uh, Patriots, it makes... So where we're... Oh, yeah. We're talking about... Right. Um, Yeah. So finding somebody who can... Yes. Joe the Third, Kennedy. um, But finding somebody who can uh, sort of be, you know, cut through Trump's kind of palaver, I guess, if you will. His, you know, his tendency to just kind of keep going, kind of set the rhetorical tone of whatever... You know, whatever debate he's part of, or I mean, that's going to be, I think, the real challenge because that was his trick in both the primaries and the general was just kind of taking control of the conversation. Yeah. So you, you got to find somebody who could take it back from him. I think maybe um, a TV uh, personality or something. I just want to say uh, one more thing. Uh, I really appreciated them putting a younger politician mm-hmm. specifically uh someone that was under 40 so did uh, i someone that that's an up-and-comer uh it it was really it was really important to me that 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 was part of their message that and that it was it was a very inclusive message too yeah right um uh with with gender with with race with um uh where you're like it there was they hit mm-hmm. a lot of points 
Um, so and quick, he was what twenty minutes or less. Yeah, yeah. it yeah. was very fast. So uh, that the the age thing that really, mm-hmm. I mean, if you listen to the show, you know my feelings about um, older politicians. But uh, <laughs> so that that really was um, that was really great. Um, I will so. say having a an older uh, not not um, I mean they're not a super old dynasty, but having a an establish a, a, a figure from that kind of establishment who's a white man for a means. I don't I don't think it undercuts that message, but I would like to see more younger voices coming from the part you know the party that is up and coming, which is predominantly people of color and has lots of women. I mean, it's going to be. I know it's taking time for the Democratic Party to change, but this administration <laughs> particularly is a very good way to highlight that difference Difference, so i mean and and it's the first state of the union um we're going into an election this is an election year so we'll see how that change is going forward but um i think there is some room for improvement there speaking for myself um and we are coming up to the end of our time (gasps) that's it (laughs) yeah we we are we're gonna have to make room here in a minute for uh dj wendy and subculture which is coming on at eight sue do you have any sort of last thoughts no i agree with you about the youth sort of people coming I, i really believe that it's it's the people that are coming up i always tell you guys this but that it's really the new ideas and the new folks and you really do i i you know steny hoyer's a nice guy but you know when the, when he rolls out from the house to do something because he's been right. the whip for a gazillion oh, years, yeah. I just tune out and I love politics because I just I don't want to hear from the same old the same folks again. Yeah, it's t- it's time for a new guard, and that happened with Clinton. Clinton when he came in, it was like a new day. Mm-hmm. It was the boomers coming in coming into their own. Now it's time for the boomers to go. Yes. And, <laughs> and it's time for you guys to <laughs> – I'm really curious to see what the big – the first big millennial president is going to yeah. be because we, we're like coming. Trudeau. We're coming. Yeah, like Trudeau in <laughs> yeah, Canada. Right. right. We're, coming. we're coming. You are. We're counting you, on sooner it. Sooner or later, it's, it's going to happen. We're and, uh, counting on you. Some of us are preach. What is it? Run. <laughs> we can't run. We have walkers. <laughs> it's a shuffle. Every day I'm shuffling. All right. All right. We got to cut this out. Uh, <laughs> civil politics every uh, brought to you every Friday night, uh, 7 to 8, here on Valley for Radio, WXOJLP, Northampton, 103.3 FM. Also find us online, civilpoliticsradio.com. So uh, thank you for joining us. And uh, have a good night. Go Pat. <laughs> <laughs>
WXOJLP, Northampton, 103.3 FM. I am strong. I am fearless. I am courageous. I am beautiful. I can do all things. I am created to be me. I am a woman. And I am funky. You're listening to Subculture. Slap that face, do 
time for the preachers, the rabbis, the priests, pundits, and the professors to believe in the awesome wonder of diversity.